Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. seated. Um, For the past several weeks leading up here to Resurrection Sunday, I've been kind of meandering around in the book of Jonah. And uh, as as odd or peculiar as it may seem, I'm going to preach my Resurrection Sunday sermon today from the book of Jonah. And, uh, you know, Jesus even told the disciples about everything that was spoken in the law and the prophets. It was all talking about him anyway. So I'm convinced that we can almost go anywhere in Scripture and get to Jesus. And uh, so we're, we're, we're going to talk about the resurrection from Jonah this morning, of all things. And uh, I was telling uh, the leadership, we had leadership prayer this morning, and I was telling them about my, my son. We had been gone all this week, and for uh, Thursday and Friday, I was ministering out of, out of town in another church and so they've been in church on thursday and friday and we drove home yesterday so he was a little tired and he should have got up a little quicker than what he got up i've been in his room a time or two there might be a parent or here that can identify with what i'm saying but i've been in his room a time or two trying to get him up and so he was feverishly trying to get ready and wiping the sleep out of his eyes I said you should have already been up he said, well, I'm tired and all this stuff. I said, well, the Lord got up. This is Easter Sunday. This is the Lord got up. He said, but yeah, he's God. And so he had a good argument against me, I guess. But uh, nonetheless, Jonah chapter number one and verse number four, the Bible says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep, skipping on down to verse number 11. Then said they, these are these mariners, these sailors, then said they unto him, the hymn is Jonah, what shall we do unto thee? What are we going to do to you that the sea may be calm unto us for the sea wrought and was tempestuous and he said unto them take me up and cast me forth into the sea so shall the sea be calm unto you for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you nevertheless the men rode hard to bring it to the land but they could not for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. And so uh, probably the story of Jonah is somewhat familiar with many people here today being swallowed by the big fish and all of these type of things. But the question to these sailors were this. There's, there's this horrible storm and uh, the waters are really troubled. And note their question. Well, what are we going to have to do to you? in order for everything to be calm for us. And Jonah was this. He said, you're going to have to sacrifice me to the sea in order for it to be okay with you. And so I want to minister to us today uh, this subject matter. Someone had to die. Someone had to die. 
Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, we need you, Jesus. God, in the next few moments, we're grateful for the people that have come out today to be a part, Lord, of a Resurrection Sunday, Lord, service. I pray, oh, Lord, God, minister, Lord, through your word. Help us, God, to hear, God, what you would say, Lord Jesus, from it. God, we know, Lord, the words of life are contained in those scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Help us, oh, Lord, God, to discover them for our own lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Someone had to die. The storm that was at sea here for Jonah and these sailors was no ordinary storm. The Bible tells us very plainly in the first chapter of Jonah that it was sent by the Lord. It was sent by the Lord, but it was a product of of whenever a man named Jonah separated himself from the living God. It's similar in many ways to the Garden of Eden when it was watched over by a cherubim with a flaming sword after Adam and Eve transgressed. It's similar somewhat to the world being flooded uh, with water during the days of Noah whenever he built his ark. It's related also a little bit to the confusion at the tower called Babel when the workers were just scattered all across the face of the earth. It is also somewhat similar to Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by the fiery brimstone that fell. Because all of these things, whether it be the flood or whether it be the brimstone or whether it be the confusion at Babel or whether it be the storm here in the book of Jonah, all of these things came from the Lord. But more precisely than them just coming from the Lord, they were the results of when men separate themselves from God. When men walk away from the Lord, Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us in the book of beginnings of Genesis that they ate of the forbidden tree. And it tells us later in Genesis that during the days of Noah that the wickedness, this is the Bible's own words, that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth and the thoughts of his heart was evil Continually, The people of Babel at the Tower of Babel, the Bible says that they were basically in direct disobedience to God by wanting to concentrate their efforts there at the Tower and build up this Tower and make their, their racial group and their uh, people just be in this one location when God had told them to scatter themselves about and to replenish the earth. They were in direct opposition to the Lord. During the days of Sodom, Adam and Gomorrah, the Bible speaks of Lot, speaks of Lot being a righteous soul that was daily vexed by Sodom again due to its inhabitants being both wicked and unlawful. And so when we look at all of those episodes in the history of the Old Testament, we understand this. They resulted in, amen, what happened and what the Lord sent, whether it be wind or fire or whether it be a storm. It's all because they were consequences of men and women that had separated themselves from God. They were chasms between God and man. Uh, I love the scripture in Isaiah. I go to it quite often. Isaiah 59 and verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, 
that it cannot hear. Verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not here. It's not the, 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 the concept that God cannot save. And it's not the concept that God cannot hear. But it's the concept that God will not hear because of our iniquities, of, of inviting things in our life that would separate us from God. So it's not that God cannot. It's that God will not. That his mercy will not be at, exercised at the expense of his justice because sin always has to be paid for. Sin always has to be atoned for. Sin always has to be dealt with. And so this, this thing that we call in our lives eternity that we all know will come someday if you believe in a life after death, which that's what the Bible prescribes, that there is life even after death. We will spend it in one or two locations according to the word of the Lord. Eternity, though, will seal the separation that we have with God in this life if we don't afford ourselves of the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In other words, if we find ourselves today separated from God now, then it's just going to be more permanent and more prominent after, amen, this whole thing called living on this life is over. But if we will make amends today, amen, and avail ourselves of the redeeming sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ today, then that whole separation in eternity can be quite, quite different. Our separation many times from God in this life may seem somewhat marginal as we live our lives but its significance can be seen I think in the story of the New Testament scripture of the rich man and Lazarus as it goes the Bible says in the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Lazarus is depicted as being in Abraham's bosom that's that's just an image that's synonymous with paradise or synonymous with, with heaven Lazarus being in Abraham's bosom but the Bible says that the rich man lifted up his eyes in the torments of fire. He lifted up his eyes from hell and he made a request to Lazarus who was in paradise or in heaven that Lazarus, I would like for you to take your finger, dip it in water and lay it to my tongue so that it may be cooled. Now this is what the scripture says in Luke 16 and verse 26 concerning this. Here's the response of Abraham and Lazarus. He says, and besides all this, he says, between me, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. In other words, what Lazarus is saying to the rich man is that there's a great separation between where you are and where I am. He says, I, I, I'm here in paradise. I'm here in heaven. I'm here with the Lord. I'm here with the great God. But there's a great separation between you and me. For that matter, there's a great separation between you and him at this point in time. There's, there's a chasm. He said, so that they which would pass from hence to you, cannot, I can't come with water on my feet and apply it to your tongue. He said, neither can you come to me because there's a great separation. The separation that you had from God in your life is now 
permanent. It is now prominent. He said, you've died. It's went on. And so there's a great divide. And so the rich man has to reason within himself in the story of the New Testament at this time, this words. If the divide cannot be crossed for me now, if I can't get to him now and he cannot or will not rather come to me, I wonder, he asked, if you'll go to my family that's still alive and you'll go to my brothers and you'll go to my sisters that's still alive and tell them that they don't want to come to this place. They don't want to come to this place. You know what the, the, the rich man was really trying to convey? They need to understand that after death, he said separation is forever. If you don't avail yourself of the sacrifice of the Lord, separation is permanent. Tell my family to repair the breach that they have with God now. Tell them to find a way to eliminate that great gulf that's between them now because I dismissed that my whole life. I, I didn't worry about that my whole life, but now I'm in an unchangeable circumstance. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ will either become the great divide to you or he will mediate the closure of the gap between you and him if you'll respond to him. John said that there was a division among the people because of Jesus Christ. Not only were some of them divided over whether he was a prophet or whether he was Isaiah or Elijah or even Christ himself, but they were divided into two camps of believers and non-believers. Some saw Jesus as the solution. Others pinpointed him as the problem. Some saw him as the answer to their difficulties. Others saw him as though he was creating some difficulties upon the earth. The rejectors, according to the Gospels, are those that separated themselves from him. But those that accepted him are the ones, amen, that he came down and he mediated a solution for and a resolution for. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for, everybody say, all to be testified in due time. Now, a ransom. He gave himself to be a ransom for all. The basic definition of the word ransom is this. It is a redemption price. It's what's given in exchange for another as the price of redemption. Timothy says that God, amen, coming down as the man Christ Jesus became the mediator or gave himself to be a ransom, a redemption price. He exchanged himself, amen, for all of humanity. Amen. So when we come back to the book of Jonah, we understand that there is a tempestuous storm upon the water. Lots have been cast to decide who's at fault, who, who's at fault concerning the storm. And the Bible says that the lot fell upon Jonah. Man was the cause of the storm. This man was the cause of the waves rising and falling and everybody though that was on the boat was experiencing the same waves, the same storm and so since man was the cause of it, they done decided everyone that man would need to be the solution for it. He would have to pay. If he did the wrong, if he did the evil, then man is going to have to pay. In order to 
to make it right, then the one that started it is going to have to be the one that finishes it. Man would have to be the one to suffer the punishment of his own failings. The sailors asked Jonah, they say, what shall we do? Notice the wording. What shall we do to you? That the sea might be calm for us. What do we, the lots fell to you, so what must we do to you so the, the sea will be calm for us? You know what they're asking? They're asking, what's the redemption price? What's got to be given in exchange in order for all of us to be safe? Tell us, Jonah, what's going to be the cost? Amen. Because we're nothing more but a, a bunch of pagan heathen sailors out here on the ocean and we pray to false gods and, and there's a definite defi- divide between us and your God. Amen. And evidently there's a divide, Jonah, between you and your God right now in this moment. And so what must be done to remedy this situation? What must be done to cure what's going on? Here's the interesting thing about Jonah. In Jonah, we have pictured both the first Adam of Genesis and what the Bible calls the last Adam of the Gospels, the man Christ Jesus. The first Adam is the one that brought sin into the world. The last Adam, which we know to be Jesus Christ, is the one that took sin out of the world. The first Adam was the one that made a mistake. The second Adam is the one that made a resolution. What we find in Jonah is both Adams. The first Adam that made the mistake, but also the second Adam that was to make, if you will, the resolution. Jonah is a picture both of humanity from the beginning of time through Adam, but he is also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, that took care of our sins. As Adam, Jonah is a transgressor as well. As the first Adam, Jonah has disobeyed God. He's ran away from the will of God. He's fled from the presence of God. He separated himself from God. For that matter, as Adam, his sin, Jonah's sin, endangers others because of what he has done. Amen. Because of his sin, this life-threatening storm is upon all of the water. The Bible tells us just the same. In the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as one man, sin entered into the world because of one man, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We see this pictured in the life of Jonah. He left God. He left the presence of God. He separated from God. He's on a boat. He's not the only one experiencing the storm. Everybody on the boat is experiencing the storm because of one man, Everybody is experiencing the storm. Verse 14 of Romans 5. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned. See, here's these sellers. They, they didn't do anything against Jonah's God per se, but they're suffering the consequences of Jonah's sin in their life. The Bible says concerning Adam, it's not that everybody after Adam ate of the same tree that Adam ate after, but it's because Adam's sin, his sin then was just cast a shadow upon all of humanity. Amen. They were after the same similitude of Adam's transgression. He said, but there's going to come one there in verse number 14 who is the figure of him that is Jesus Christ that is to come that's going to take care of all of this. In other words, where Adam messed up, Christ is going to succeed. Where Adam failed, Christ is going to be, if you will, the answer. Someone say amen. But Jonah... 
pictured now not as Adam, but as Jesus Christ, because we find both the first Adam and the last Adam, the, the Adam of Genesis and the Jesus Christ of the Gospels in Jonah. But as Jesus Christ, Jonah is picturing Jesus because he tells the sailors who were men as well as he was that the answer to the storm, the answer to the calamity that you are experiencing right now, he says, you got to cast me into the sea in order for it to be well for you. Cast me into the sea for it to be well for you. Again, man started the storm, right? And in the figure of man, this storm, this sea is going to quiet down because they'll throw a man overboard into the sea and everything will be resolved. <laughs> These sailors were suffering at the hands of the storm and so they know and Jonah tells them, it's going to have to be the man that caused. Man caused the storm, and so a man's going to be the answer to the storm. Jonah is speaking big here because Adam, a man, caused the storm of sin and transgression, but it would be the man Christ Jesus that was going to settle up and cure the problem of sin and transgression. The Adam of Genesis, again, the first Adam, and Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Amen. In both instances, the man is called Adam, whether it was in Genesis, or whether it was Christ Jesus. But Adam, the first Adam, was flawed and separated from God. But the second Adam, Christ Jesus, was flawless and at one with God. It took the death of the last Adam to redeem all of those after the likeness and the character of the first Adam. Basically, what I'm telling you today, folks, again, in Jonah, we see both the first Adam and the second Adam. Man was flawed. Mankind was flawed. But it was going to take a man to redeem the men as well. Someone say amen. I am operating off a, a little bit of a voice that's already been stripped from preaching to a lot of students. Jesus says, look at Matthew 12. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking. For as Jonas, which is Jonah of the Old Testament, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is sharing with us that his life, in certain ways and fashions, the last Adam, parallels with this whole event that Jonah went through. Three days, three nights in the belly of a well. He was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Huh? Jonah was thrown overboard in sacrifice. Christ was sacrificed. Jonah came out of the mouth of the well on dry land. Jesus got up on the third day. He's saying there's a parallel that's here. And so Jonah in our story says, here's your ransom. Here's your redemption price. Here's your exchange. Cast me into the sea and the sea will be calm unto you. Cast me into the sea and the sea will be calm for you. See, the Bible says that the ship was in jeopardy of being lost. For that matter, the lives upon the ship were in jeopardy of being lost and in great peril.
peril of being lost. But there was only one way, according to Jonah, that this thing could be made right. There was only one way for this thing to be made correct. And the only way to bridge the separation, the only way to bridge the gap is that one had to die in order that others might live. He said, you take me, you cast me, and it'll be good for you. You take me, you throw me overboard, and it'll be good for you. In other words, Jonah was saying, in this matter, there's been sin, there's been transgression, there's been wrong, and somebody has to die because sin has to be dealt with. Sin always has to be dealt with. If you're going to bridge the gap, sin's going to have to be dealt with. Jonah said the only way it can happen is somebody's going to have to die. And because one will die, he said it'll be well for every last single one of you. Because one will be thrown overboard, it'll be well for every last single one of you. We say it today every every Easter, but I say it again. It should have been me, and it should have been you that was hanging on the tree. Because it was our sin, our transgression, our fault. We put the stripes there. We caused the blood to shed. But you know what, I said it's only going to take one man to die for the rest to make it well for them. Somebody had to die and thank God it didn't have to be me. So it's amen. And when it did, the sea was calm for the mariners. The sailors were safe. <laughs> but Jonah had to be sacrificed in order for it to be well for them. See, the first Adam condemned mankind. And whenever I say the last Adam, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ. But the last Adam redeemed mankind. Jonah got them into the mess. This is why Jonah pictures both. Jonah got them into the mess. But it was a sacrifice, Jonah. One that foreshadowed the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would get them out of their mess. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, one man's, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. This idea and concept is throughout the word of God before Jesus Christ ever goes to Calvary before he ever goes to Golgotha there's this constant principle that he's building on in scripture and that is this that there's one always dying so that others might live there's one it seems like even the Old Testament sacrifices one always dying so others might live we read in Genesis 22 of a man by the name of Abraham that's taken his son Isaac up Mount Moriah and he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only begotten son, on that mount called Moriah. Amen. And as they are going up the mount, and as they get up there, and when Abraham's about ready to take the life of his son, the Bible says that God shows Abraham a ram caught in the thicket. God provided a ram, amen, for Isaac. What I'm saying is this, that ram, which was a lamb, amen, Abraham told Isaac that God would provide it was one slain lamb that was going to take, if you will, the place of an Isaac. The blood, we read about Passover, the Old Testament. Blood upon the lintel. Blood upon the doorpost. Death angel coming by and not entering into the house of the Israelites because of the blood. In essence, again, it was the death of a lamb that was going to make it good for everybody that was on the inside of the house. It was going to be the blood of the lamb on the wooden, amen, doorpost and lintel. That was going to make it good for everybody in the house. Amen. We read this over and over again. That was good for Israel, but it never becomes even more plain till New Testament scripture. It's during the days 
days of the trial. It's during the days, if you will, even of the verdict of the Lord Jesus Christ about whether or not we should crucify him or whether or not we shouldn't crucify him. And the Bible says while they were, they were thinking and pondering upon all these things and he's being tried by court and man after court, the Bible says that the high priest Caiaphas, and I don't know if he really knew what he was saying, but unconsciously he states the reality of the principle during Jesus' trial and verdict and says this in John eleven fifty. He said, it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people. They had a common practice that they would allow a prisoner go. That's the reason Barabbas enters the picture. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Caiaphas was just speaking to that. It's lawful that one man should die. Amen. For the people. But what he was speaking in that moment was going beyond just custom. It was going beyond ritual. He was speaking the truth. Somebody had to die. And he said one man should die for the people. Why? So that the whole nation doesn't perish. If we can get one man to die, it'll save a nation. If we can get one man to die, it'll It'll save a race. If you get one man to die, it will save a people. And somebody had to die. And Jesus Christ was that man. He came down. He was God robed in flesh. But he mediated for you and me the closing of the gap between us and our God. And he did it so well because he was both God and he was man. He was made of a woman, but he was conceived by the Holy Ghost. And that one man came down. And somebody died so the whole nation wouldn't have to perish. Amen. The last Adam hanged on a tree. And the man Jonah was thrown into the sea. Because somebody had to die. Jesus died so we didn't have to die. Jonah was sacrificed so the sailors wouldn't have to die. And although they hung Jesus on the tree, the scripture says that he gave up the ghost. He gave up his life. Though they hung him on the tree, he allowed it. He gave his life. And although the sailors threw Jonah overboard, we never have record of any struggle. As a matter of fact, it was his idea to begin with. <laughs> it it was his idea to begin with. No one could say, well, those rascals, they threw him overboard. They would say, he told us to throw him overboard. There would probably not be too many that said, Jesus told us to put the nails in him. But in all reality, he was leading, if you will, the dictates of man left and right because he had an ultimate finish. He knew somebody had to die. They were insufficient to die. They were with their sins. They were within their transgressions. It took a perfect man, a perfect lamb, pure blood. Somebody had to die. He sees from heaven as the great God of glory. There's not a man on earth suited to die. I'm going to have to come down and make myself a man to be the one that will die for the nations, for the people. Somebody had to. Somebody had to. Here we are as humanity, right? We're all human. As humanity, we want to balance the scale. Want our cake and eat it too, as the saying is. Huh. So here's the storm bad on the sea where Joan and the men are. And we understand, undoubtedly, according to the word of the Lord, that sin is definitely a separator. But then we start to play around with, does it really require somebody to die? 
I mean, is it really going to require that? I mean, mankind often thinks, you know, maybe, just maybe we can make all this right without, you know, stirring too much up. Maybe we can make this, maybe it won't require a ransom, right? I mean, in real life, if, if someone demands a ransom, what are they going to try to do? Do whatever they can do to get around that. They might call the bluff. We got it. But their, their objective is, let's get this thing settled without any money being exchanged. Without any sacrifice being given. And so that mentality has crept into us, even concerning the things of God. Let's see if we can just get this whole sin thing and everything taken care of. Maybe it won't require death. Maybe it won't require a ransom. I want you to know that the humanity hasn't changed since the beginning of time. The sailors must have thought along the same line. Because whenever Jonah says, you cast me overboard and it'll be well with you, it's as, um, as though they got together the committee. Do, do we really got to throw him overboard? Do we really got to sacrifice him? Do we really got to put him at the mercy of the sea and, and probable death? Do, do, do we really got to do that? Notice what the scripture says. They, they, they didn't understand really the fact that, that, that it was going to have to require his death because in verse 13, after Jonah told them, this is what's required, this is what's going to need to happen, the Bible says, starts verse 13 out like this, nevertheless, oh, here we go. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it the ship to the land. You know what they're doing in that moment? Oh, we, we can't allow it to cause somebody to die. We, we can't allow there to be a sacrifice of, of throwing somebody overboard. No, no. Guys, just put your backs into it. Row a little harder with your arms. You know what they were saying? We can do this without somebody dying. We, we, we can ease this out and we can, we can allow all of the ruckus and this storm to just go by the wayside. We can do this, guys. Put your backs in and get your hands on the oar. Uh, we're we're going to refuse the cost of a man's life in order for this to be peaceful. We're going to ignore the sacrifice. We can do this. Jonah doesn't have to die. None of us have to die. We're just going to keep on rowing and we're going to sweat and we're going to use our strength. We've got, guys, we've got this. We can do this and the Bible says they showed great effort they rode hard to bring the ship to the shore they tried in spite of the storm in spite of what Jonah said they rode hard but verse 13 tells us the story it says but they could not they tried to get it to shore they tried to be the answer to their own dilemma but the Bible says that they could not it didn't matter how much effort they put in it how much work they put in it how much sweat they put in it it just did not there was just simply too much against them amen there was too much not in their favor I'm here to tell you something this morning folks I don't care where your lot of life may have been or where it is right now but you can't do it on your own you don't have enough strength you don't have enough tenacity you don't have enough intellect you don't have enough desire you don't have enough sweat tears and blood in order to get accomplished it's going to take somebody dying it's going to take a sacrifice in order for this thing to be amends somebody's gonna have to be there's too many today that's hearing all of this about the cross and about the resurrection and they have their own nevertheless we can do this it'll take all of that had they held fast 
in that sea to that opinion, they all would have been in the sea. Hopeless. Hopeless. Maybe even dying. But Rex, when they came to the end of themselves and realized, I don't don't think I can row another mile. I don't think I have it in me to get there. And they step back and take the recommendation that someone's going to have to be sacrificed in order for it to be good for us. When they grab that, it's then that the sea comes down. It's then that the waters begin to recess. It's then that the wind stops blowing. I'm trying to tell somebody here this morning, please, I wish you would just find the end of yourself today. And I know you depend on yourself for your job, it seems like, and your finances, and your kids, and your family, and all of this. But let me tell you what's lurking behind the curtain and in the shadows. There's a cross with a crucified Savior. Amen. And because somebody died, if you're ever successful, successful in this life and if you ever bridge the gap between you and God your sin and your transgression is because somebody had to die you didn't get there on your own you didn't do it by yourself you didn't just push your way through no 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 he sacrificed he surrendered for us but we weary ourselves we weary ourselves in the struggle And we'll make vain attempt after vain attempt trying to get to the safety of the shore without the sacrifice of the life. It's like, oh, no, in reality, brother, I don't want to die and I don't want anybody to have to die on my behalf. I don't want to be indebted to anybody. But because someone had to die and that someone was not us, we can trust and have confidence in his death. Because of that, that allows us to be what Romans 12 and 1 says. That allows us to be then a living sacrifice. The apostle said to the church at Rome, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's, that's Romans 12 1. He's telling us how we can present ourselves a living sacrifice. And that really, that is a contradiction of terms. Living Sacrifice. It's a contradiction of terms. Sacrifices typically are not living. They are dead. It's a dead sacrifice. But he says, you all can present your bodies a living sacrifice. How is that possible? Because someone has died. You can be a living sacrifice because somebody died. it's, It's what we present our bodies as. Because it's what he sacrificed his body for. Some might even say, Pastor, a living sacrifice, that, that's, that's, that's a impossibility. That's an impossibility. But I'm telling you, the only way that there can be a living sacrifice, even remotely conceivable, a living sacrifice, is because someone had to die. The living sacrifice is exampled in the everyday lives of those, as the Apostle Paul said, of those that bear in their body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. In the New Testament Scripture, the Apostle Paul spoke of himself. He was so impressed with the cross, and he all times said, said, I'm not going to say anything among you 
save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's like it was his mantra. If, if, if there was anything he's going to talk about, preachers say he's going to talk about Jesus Christ and him. His whole life seemed to come to this, this pivotal moment. It's Christ and him crucified. And so the Apostle Paul was so impressed that since he wasn't the one that had to die, he had commissioned himself and every other believer, even as Christ wanted them to be, then with being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And a representative, we have ambassadors all over the world of the United States in different countries, and we have embassies and so on and so forth. Representatives, and what they are doing, they are representing the United States of America. They are not representing themselves as much as they are the individual or the, the, the country or the place from which they are sent forth as an ambassador. They are representative. And so Paul says, I didn't have to die. I wasn't Christ, but I'm going to live my life as an ambassador. I'm going to live my life as a representative of Christ. Insomuch that Paul felt like then that whenever he went through troubles and he went through persecutions and he went through sufferings, Paul felt like I'm just being a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was persecuted, had sufferings. I'm just mirroring the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in my own life. I'm his ambassador. I'm his representative. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, this is what the apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, always bearing about in the body, he said, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He said, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Because he's, he's referring to all the trials and problems that he'd went through. That the life also. So we're not. He's saying this isn't just about our lives mirroring his because of trouble and persecution. He said, but we don't just mirror him in death. We mirror him in life. <laughs> he said that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Now look at what Paul says in verse 12. He said, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. This is amazing. Paul is so tied to this idea of being the representation of Christ, being an ambassador for Christ, this idea of being like Christ and imitating Christ, that he echoes the age-old principle. Death is working in us so that life can work in you. He's telling some of the church folks at the church of Corinth, he's saying, listen, he said, y'all gonna reap some benefit." Because we're going to went through some suffering and agony and pain just like Christ. And just like we all reap the benefit of his suffering, amen, in our lives. He said, you're going to reap the, the benefit even of our suffering for you in your life. In other words, he's telling them death in him gave life to them. He's telling them somebody had to die. But death always births life. When those sellers realize that they couldn't do it. And whenever they accepted the storm and the tempestuous wind as it was being too much for them. The Bible says that they cried and they cried and they beseeched the Lord and they pleaded with the Lord and they basically told the Lord this, Lord, we don't want to perish. Do however it pleases you. So what I'm saying today, we got to come to our wits in. And somebody this morning can just plead and cry to God and come to this place and say, God, I don't want to perish. 
Because I understand trying it my way, it's not going to work. Trying to row through it, it's not going to happen. Trying to push through it, it's not going to happen. I realize that, Lord. And I don't want to bear. So, Lord, we just acquiesce. We just say, Lord, do as you please. Well, it was the Lord's pleasure to chastise the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his pleasure for the crown to be put upon his head. It was his pleasure for the nails to be put in his hands and his feet. His pleasure for them to take him down from the cross and lay him in a borrowed tomb. Jonah, these sailors are saying, Lord, do it as you please. Jonah says, you're going to have to sacrifice me. You're going to have to throw me overboard. In other words, they came to this understanding. We just surrender. Have it the way that you, however you say it needs to be done, that's how we want it to be done. How, whatever's the best way to get rid of the storm, that's what we want accomplished right here and so if you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning you're saying brother mcgee i've had sin i have transgression i understand i'm after the likeness and the image of adam that that's my part in life too and you're like but i don't want to perish like this i don't i don't i don't want my separation in this life to become the permanent separation after i've died i don't want to perish if you cry out to the lord and just surrender and say lord you just have it the way that you say it's supposed to be done and if it's the way that he's supposed to be done then it's going to take a man's life on a tree and bloodshed for each and every one of us. His life's going to be taken in order for our life to be saved. Because, folks, somebody, somebody has to die. If you stand with me this morning. When Jonah was sacrificed, when Jesus was sacrificed, and when the ransom was paid and when the redemption price was done when the life was given after all of that the scripture says quite plainly that the storm had seized the storm had seized everything came to peace and those that were left on board the ship the bible says they revered and they respected the lord and they honored him with sacrifices they honored him with vows Because they understood we're standing here today in the peace of what was a storm. We lived because a man gave himself up to die. And that's where we stand here today. The opportunity that we have afforded on this Resurrection Sunday. And I I underscore the opportunity that we have any given day of the week. To be able to live and stand here in peace to be able to stand here in relationship with the Lord. It's because we must come to the terms of realization. It's because somebody gave their life for our life. And he didn't stay dead, but he got up. And because he died, I can mirror his death in my life. And because he lived, I can mirror his life in my life. Because somebody, because of sin and transgression, had. So if you look right now in your life and you look backwards and there's not a Calvary somewhere back there. You're living, you're living a a lie. You're living a fairy tale because we can't really go forward like we need to go forward as mankind. If we accept, if we don't accept in our past, there's a Golgotha. For somebody died for us for the purpose of our lives.
we bow our heads all across this place. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.